0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. One of the perks of ministry is that I happen to have the privilege of listening to many life stories. What a great gift. I was on the phone with a friend recently from Massachusetts whose daughter is now in college. And this mother said this sentence about her daughter. She's a really good person. She's just made some bad choices. In the moment, I didn't say anything in response. I just kept listening. But that sentence has since wormed its way into my brain like an annoying tune because there is something patently false about this sentence. Sin is so much more than a few bad choices that we happen to make. If sin is just a bad choice, a mistake, then why does God hold us morally responsible? If sin is simply a bad choice, a rational irrationality, I should have known better, but I just didn't, then why don't my sinful actions feel very clever? If sin is just a premeditated bad choice, then why does it feel to me when I am in the throes of sin, that I am being swept away by it, carried along in a current of self-destruction that for the life of me, I cannot swim out of. For a period of time in my 20s, I went on vacation, often with my parents in Maine and with other family members, and we always sought out the places where there would be a sandy beach, so that we could actually swim. I think there might only be one such place in Maine. Well, we went there and we swam, although I'm probably the only person in this room that would find the water temperature comfortable enough to swim in. And so my parents and I were out swimming, and we were so absorbed in our conversation, which naturally turned to theology, because we're weird like that.
1: So my father and I and my mother were
0: all discussing theology, and then suddenly, as we're floating along, treading water, we notice that we have drifted significantly down shore. Um, And I had this moment where I reached down to touch the bottom with my feet. And there was a shock of panic that went through my heart when I realized I couldn't touch bottom. And so um, we looked back to the shore and we started to swim in. And as we looked back, we saw there that my aunt was on alert. She was standing there ready to jump into the water and save us if she needed to. And that calmed our hearts because she, is a, she was a very incredible person, probably the most physically fit person I have ever known in my life, a trained lifeguard, and she had this reassuringly deep voice. For her small stature, she had a bass voice. And so as we straggled ashore, we were relieved to see her. She welcomed us out of the water, and we asked her what she would have done if we hadn't been able to get out of that quick current. And she said, I would have jumped in the water, I would have swum to you, I would have knocked you unconscious and dragged you ashore with her. Needless to say, we were we were glad that we hadn't needed a karate chop to the neck from her, but it was so reassuring to know that she was looking out for us. And this experience of swimming feels to me like a much more accurate picture of sin than simply a few bad choices. And I think St. Paul would agree. A relationship with sin is a complicated relationship And in Romans 6, St. Paul paints this more complete picture of sin's effect on men and women. In particular, even after we have come to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Sin, he describes as a Lord with a realm of power. Sin dominates human beings, enslaving us and making us indebted to it. And the worst part is that we are complicit in this domination. Before we know Jesus, we cannot resist sin, and we even welcome the destruction that it brings to our life and others. Grammatically, in the book of Romans, especially in chapters 5 through 7, sin is not just a verb. It is more often used as an active subject. One scholar notes, sin is a realm of existence. Sin lords it over our mortal bodies, exercising lethal bondage and repaying its slaves with death. Paul reminds us of what a bad master sin is when he says in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is that image of a harvest, that when we are enslaved to sin, we labor, we work, our fingers to the bone. And what do we have to show for it? What have we earned but the rotting fruit of death? A rotting harvest that cannot last, that cannot nourish, that is good for nothing. In contrast, through faith in Jesus Christ, the free gift is ours. harvest that we haven't labored for. When my mentoring group meets, we very often meet in Tacoma, Washington. And this one year that we met, we were staying in two separate houses. The men were at our mentor's house, and we women were down the road at at a neighbor's house. We had to walk back and forth to the main house for our meetings. And as we girls walked along the road, we were so delighted when we came upon these bushes alongside the road. We started to step a little closer, and as we stepped closer, we realized that there on the bushes, they were blackberry bushes, and those were the biggest, the juiciest, the sweetest blackberries that I have ever had in my life. I want to go back to Washington just to taste them again. They were free to us. We were surprised by them. We hadn't labored for them. We simply received Those sweet, good blackberries are like the taste of eternal life that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. Sin is a poor master. Sin is like a strong ocean current that grabs us in its hold and carries us away so that on our own we cannot choose life. And yet for those of us who have tasted God's goodness in Jesus Christ, why go back? that horrible master when we have a loving new Lord. God graciously forgives us our sin. He frees us from all condemnation from sin, and he pays us wages of life that our deathly actions cannot earn. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are then transferred from the realm where sin holds sway into the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is Lord. Christians, we have all had a near-death experience. We were actually drowning in sin. And through the death of Jesus Christ, God has intervened. Jesus has dragged us to the shore. We are saved. Thanks be to God. And so now we live in this overlapping time, in this overlapping reality, the era between Jesus' first and his second coming, when the effects of sin are still rampant in the world around us, when we still see um, sin have some level of dominion over ourselves, even if it is against our will, because we like to return to sin as our Lord. And when we do, it is as though we're returning to the scene of the crime to relive that thrill of self-destruction, When we sin as Christians, it's as though we're diving back into that same riptide that almost killed us. The great Bob Dylan gets it right. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Which Lord is it? As created beings, we were made to serve God, and the distortion of sin makes us want to serve Anyone but him. You and I will serve someone or something. Even if in our own stubbornness, it's only ourselves. And that is a particular, unique kind of tyranny. We will serve someone or something. And even if we tell ourselves that that number one priority in our life is something seemingly good, like our spouse or our children, or our job, in fact, if anything is that first priority other than God, it will destroy us. Paul then wisely ultimately appeals to our stubborn human wills. He appeals to us. We will not to be dominated in general. And it's as though he calls out to our stubborn stubborn wills when he says to those first Christians and to us today, it's as though he sings, rebel against rebellion, down with chaos, vive la resistance, live free or die, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. And Paul's language is not so much one of do's and don'ts, but he uses statements of the unshakable fact of our salvation in Jesus Christ as assurance for us in those moments when we feel as though we're getting carried away. He promises, for sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. We were drowning. Jesus knocked us out and got us back to shore. And now, when we get in the water and we swim, we remember somehow that the riptide can kill us. The Holy Spirit has given us wisdom and transformation through that grace of God. We come sooner to that moment of panic when we realize that we can't touch bottom anymore. And that moment is truly a moment of repentance when we cry out for God's help. God's love extended to us in Jesus Christ transforms our hearts, making us miraculously more responsive to him, even in ways we can't control, unfortunately. But he gives us wisdom, wisdom to recognize that maybe maybe I do exercise an unhealthy measure of control over the people in my life. Maybe my uncontrollable outrage at every single person has to do with me and not them. Maybe if I keep on hiding that dark secret, then my life will only be a front of lies. Or maybe, maybe I really can't have just one drink. As we look to the shore with panic in our eyes, we can trust that our lifeguard is mighty to save, and we can give thanks to God that he has forgiven us from the just condemnation of sin, and that he delights to rescue us again and again as we cry out to him. So where that mother did get it right is that now our identity is not defined by what we do, but by who we are. That daughter might not necessarily have been a good person unless she believes in Jesus. And I don't know if she has faith in Jesus, but when we put our trust in him, Jesus' own goodness becomes ours. His goodness is transferred to us, even though we haven't earned it. As Christians, we are new people, defined by Christ, citizens of his kingdom, no longer slaves to sin. And we cling to God's promise. As St. Paul says earlier in Romans For what if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son? Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Our sin has died with Jesus at his death, and our life is hidden in his life. Jesus is our lifeguard, both at that first moment of faith and as we continue to put our trust in him now. And for that, we can say, thanks be to God.